Hey everybody, this is Steve Thompson. Before we jump right into our passage today, I wanted to give us just a little backstory since Paul alludes to this piece of history that maybe not all of us are familiar with. So maybe it'll help if we just have a little context first. Back in the book of Exodus of our Hebrew Bible, we get transported to Mount Sinai where God had led the people of Israel after miraculously and gloriously setting them free from 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. And at this mountain, God wants to enter into a new kind of relationship with these people, his people, based on an unbreakable commitment to one another. Because the people are afraid of God's presence that was palpably felt all around the mountain, they sent Moses up to get the message and to come back. And he was up there for 40 days and nights, fasting the entire time, both food and water, which is miraculous, by the way, and just being completely immersed in the tangible presence of the God of the universe. When he came down with those instructions, the ground rules for this commitment, Moses' face was so bright so otherworldly, so radiant, so indescribably different from having been in God's presence that they were afraid of him and they didn't want to look at him or go near him. So Moses ended up putting a veil over his face. And I think we can go ahead and think of some kind of turban with a Tuareg or a kufia. Uh, or a hijab with a niqab, if you're familiar with those more desert region kinds of headgear, okay, as opposed to maybe like a, a thin sheer piece of veil or something like that, um, that we think of with a bride. Um, anyways, God revealed himself in such a way that people literally didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to respond. And this counter with God should leave a person shook. We should have this kind of an experience etched into our memories and hearts so that we'll never forget the commitment that God is making with us and to us. But here's Paul now picking up that metaphor and building it into his theme for our meditation today. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. The old way with laws etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Steve Durr, in his message out of this chapter, highlighted the biblical axiom that we become what we behold. Paul wants us to know that we become glorious by beholding the glory of God in Jesus. But the Corinthians were in danger of exchanging what is truly glorious for a cheap and worthless imitation. Unfortunately, that's kind of always been true of people everywhere. It was true in the Garden of Eden, 
And it's true of all of us in our current cultural context. We should always be examining the things that we value or see as valuable because the temptation is to believe that what we traditionally consider glorious is really only temporary and a really, really poor imitation of what is truly glorious. God had to completely reshape our conception of glory in the person of Jesus, in the way he lived his life, in the way he related to people and interacted with authority, the way he gave away his life and his mission. And people then, as now, with a veil over their spiritual senses, will mistake it for mundane or ugly or dirty. Those of us who have been given Holy Spirit, though, should now be able to see, hear, taste, and touch with the lens of faith and trust that reveals the beauty of difficult when we'd much prefer easy, of delayed gratification in a world of instant satisfaction of our every desire, of faithful perseverance in the face of senseless suffering. We had life group last night, and one of the couples shared how at their family dinner table, they were all pretty upset that someone they loved was in the hospital suffering from some pretty serious injuries. And one of the kids simply said what we all probably feel. I wish people didn't have to get hurt so no one would ever have to go to the hospital. But then the seven-year-old at the table made the observation, that can't happen because people need to seek God. People need to seek God. It's important because when we are hurt, we have to seek God. What an amazing theology of suffering from a seven-year-old. It's in the pain. It's in the waiting. It's in the seeking that we find God. Paul uses the word glory 21 times in this particular letter to the Corinthians and 13 times alone in chapter three. But he wants us to get a different taste, a different flavor of what is truly glorious. I mean, maybe it's an acquired taste. Maybe it's just that we have to use a different level of senses. But he's insistent that we not miss what's truly glorious by settling for what only appears to be glorious to everyone else around us. Moses, before receiving the Ten Commandments, was in conversation with the Lord and asked him, show me your glorious presence. And God responded, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Isn't it interesting that God described his glorious presence as character qualities, goodness, mercy, compassion, all too good for Moses to fully look at face to face. In the New Testament, in the introduction to the Gospel of John, he's telling Jesus's backstory and arrival, and he says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Again, character qualities described as glory. And yet Jesus, who we could see, touch, smell, experience, hear. Ironically, a lot of people missed God moving and revealing himself in Jesus then. And they still do. 
if we aren't careful, we will miss the very glory we seek. It is more glorious than we could possibly imagine, but it's not at all obvious. We have to have eyes opened by the Spirit to see. Lord, I pray that in the middle of our mundane daily lives, that we would not bypass, overlook, completely miss out on your glory, on what you're doing, on how Jesus is revealing himself in our lives. And Lord, we recognize that it's often in the the pain or the waiting or the hard and difficult of life and relationships. But Lord, help us today to stop and to look with our eyes of faith and not with necessarily our physical eyes and don't allow us to miss out on what you're doing and revealing. Lord, show us your glory. We long to see, to experience, to be enveloped in your glorious presence. So Lord, this is our cry. This is our prayer today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are up to. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.